you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. into the word of the Lord tonight, I threw Sister Shauna a curveball, literally hit send to a text message as I was walking up here, so she she had about uh, 3.2 seconds to make a brand new slide tonight as we came up, uh, as I have um, worked toward uh, trying to fill my way into what the Lord is wanting to speak to us in this season, and um, sometimes we want to wait until everybody's present to uh, address a certain subject, to talk about certain things, and uh, if we're waiting for everybody to get here, we may be waiting for a long, long time. And uh, I do have a subject matter tonight that I want to talk to you about that I do feel is very important. I may not be able to complete it tonight. I may have to pick up uh, with what I do not get finished tonight uh, into the future, and uh, so it may be a two-part, and um, whatever, whatever we have to do. Because I understand that the mind can only comprehend what the seat can endure. And so uh, I, I recognize the time tonight, and I'll try to be mindful of that. So if I'm not done by 8.15, uh, my wife's going to send an alarm clock off, and it's going to alert me that I need to be wrapping up and finished. Somebody say amen. And thank God for your pastor's wife. First Corinthians chapter 12 begins to deal with, uh, it's a huge subject matter. Now, I'm teaching, the lesson that I'm embarking upon tonight uh, comes from a multiplicity of questions and comments and perhaps even misunderstanding of Scripture, and I want to take the time tonight to embark on this, on, on First Corinthians chapter 12 is really a springboard into deeper things I want to talk about. So tonight I'm going to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight, and I, I don't know um, I don't know how far we're going to get, but we're going to go as far as the Lord and, and time will allow us to go. And um, I'm not nervous, I just, just fidgety here tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read through this entire passage. So uh, I've got a lot of scripture. As a matter of fact, I had so much scripture tonight in this Bible study that I, I started in my office writing down all the scriptures, and I just stopped, went to the office, printed a set of notes, took them to Sister Shauna and said, here, uh, you're just 
you're going to have to follow along, and uh, she's got to pay attention tonight. So uh, she can't sit back there and play cards while I'm while I'm teaching. So see all those statements when I tell you I'm going to have the microphone someday to get you back. There it is, right there. There it is, right there it is. She she often often reminds me that she can do things on the screen while I'm preaching too. So. I don't know. That's not a competition I want to get in with. She's she's pretty witty. Amen. First Corinthians chapter twelve. The apostle Paul begins to talk about spiritual giftings, um, ministry, the call of God, the working of of, of spiritual gifts, and I I, I want to I, I need to start here tonight because I need to lay some groundwork and some foundations. And then we're going to move into the operation of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost, specifically tongues and the gifting of tongues. Um, There seems to have been a lot of questions that have been raised. For some of you, what I teach tonight may feel old hat to you. For some, it may be eye-opening. So I hope that this, um, this series, perhaps, that I'm starting tonight, will be beneficial. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul begins with, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. It's always good to not be ignorant of some things. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, how? Except by the Holy Ghost. So except by the Holy Ghost, you can't even say Jesus is Lord. So then he, then he goes on in the fourth verse. Now there are diversity of gifts. Everybody say a diversity of gifts. But the same Spirit, it is the same Spirit, but different gifts, the Apostle is saying. But the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration. Say differences of administration. Okay, the rest of you say differences of administration. This is important because if we miss this, we'll misunderstand everything I'm going to be talking about here. So, there is there is a there are diversity of gifts and there are diversities of administration of those gifts does that make sense all right this is what the bible says there are diversities of operations but it is the same god which worketh all in all now i, I could stop there and I'm going to just pause, but I could probably spend the rest of the night just right here talking about the differences in spiritual gifts that come from God and are given to men, but those gifts operate differently in every individual. So it is, but it is the same Spirit. It is the same God that is giving the spirits, the, the the spirit and the gifting. So there is a difference in administration and a different in operation. 
Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So the manifestation, that is, when the Spirit is made manifest, that means when it becomes, to manifest means to become visible, to become recognizable, to become understandable. When when that when that spirit is manifest, it will be obvious to everyone. And this is very important because we're going as we move on, we're going to come back and we're going to we're going to visit back through this passage. Verse 8 for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and another, another person perhaps, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith or the gift of faith given by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Aren't you glad we're not all the same? That's what the apostle's saying. We're all filled with the same spirit, but we are all given different gifts and different operations and different. When the spirit manifests, it's going to look the same. But we're all different and we're going to have different gifts. The discerning of spirits to another, diverse kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues but all these worketh that one same same spirit dividing to every man severally as he notice this is a this is a small h here okay as he will. This isn't talking about as God will. This is talking about as to every man as you and I will. Now before, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm, I'm slowing down to make sure everybody and every note taker is able to keep up with what we're, what we're talking about tonight. So these gifts, all the gifts that I just read, the, the gift of faith and, and of healing and, and all of these all of these gifts this whole list of gifts are all given by the same God given to us and it's given according to it's given according to us as we will as he wills not God but us for as the body is one verse 12 for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body, being many, are still one body. Also is Christ. He's just one. For by one, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member but many. And if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. 
is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would there be hearing? And if the whole, if, if the whole were hearing, where would there be smelling? But now that God has set members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now all, but now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, and I have no need of you, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Even the feeble folks are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. We're all one. Somebody say we're all one. We're all one, but we all have different gifts. But we're all one body. That there should be no, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. For one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, if you are the body of Christ, members in particular, and God hath set some in the church. Now, I read all of that to get here. God has set some in the church. First, apostles. Why are apostles first? Because apostles are those that are sent out for the founding and the starting and the establishment of church. They're given special powers from God to be able to go into an unchurched region and establish it and build up a church and keep the church together and hold a church together and have spiritual authority over regions and areas. That's part of the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry, of course, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so he says, first of all, first, apostles. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, governments. Diversity of tongues. Verse 29, watch now. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, all workers of miracles? Have all, does everybody have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Or do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best 
yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to break this down for you as quickly as I can. The fivefold ministry and the gifts of the Spirit, I believe that God has placed within the church. Let me, let me be more specifically. When we are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I believe that spiritual giftings follow the infilling of the Spirit. I believe all the, the spiritual giftings that we talked about tonight are available to us who seek those spiritual giftings. But some, but some will be more gifted in a specific area. Some will have more ability in a certain area. It is given to them by God. So the apostle here says, if everybody's running around prophesying, then there's no need for anybody to be a hearer. If everybody's giving the message in tongues, then, then, then what's the purpose of the rest of the body? So he says, choose the best gift. When we talk about, first I want to address the subject of, of fivefold ministry in the God called, in the God called ministry. Now, I have people that, that say, well, God's called me to this, and God's called me to that. I, I, I don't actually find that idea in Scripture. Where somebody said, well, God's called me to be a prophet, or God's called me to be an apostle, or God's called me to be a pastor. I actually don't find where God specifically called any one of us. If you are called by God, if you're a God-called minister within you, dwells the fivefold ministry. It is within us. Let me help you understand this. There are moments as the pastor of this congregation, which I believe is my primary calling, I, I traveled for three years as an evangelist, and I was kind of like a fish out of water. I, I didn't—I don't think I was a very good evangelist. It was not my gifting, but I fulfilled that role because I was called to ministry, and I was called to do the work of ministry. And when God opened the door for me to travel as an evangelist, I traveled as an evangelist and did the work of ministry until God closed that door and opened another door. Now, I feel more fulfilled and feel more that I am at ease with my calling as the pastor of this church. I believe I'm God called. I understand that before I became the pastor of this church that there was an election of the body, but I trust spiritual people prayed, sought the mind of God before they cast that vote, but I believe it was all part of the plan and mind and will of God for me to be here. 
Now, I maybe would never have chosen to come to the cold north. I maybe would have never chosen to come to the small town of Frankfurt. Maybe this would have never been my idea. But God had a plan. And God opened the door and we stepped through the door that God opened. And since the will of God has become clear because of what God has done through the ministry and in my life, so my family's blessed. I have three wonderful sons all living for God, three wonderful daughter-in-laws. And I have about 27 grandkids that are going to be coming down the road in the next little while. I looked over at Kayla tonight, and I said nine, nine, and she knows what that means, right? Nine. Her dad and I have already decided on it, nine. She said four, Dylan said three. We're going to see who the boss of that house is. So as the pastor of this church, there are times that I do the, that, that I fulfill the role of an evangelist because it's within me. There are times I come to this pulpit and understand my assignment for this service is to reach the lost. There are times that everything that I'm doing is geared toward being an evangelist, and so I fulfill that role. There are times when I may be preaching and I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost and I move into the prophetic. That's the gift of prophecy. You don't have to come and call me prophet, pastor, bishop. I'm not here seeking titles, but I am seeking the best gift. And so I follow the gifting that God has put within me. And so I believe that God has put, I, I also believe, I don't want anybody to misunderstand this, but I also believe that God has given me, and it has been prophesied and spoken by others, and it has become clear that God has gifted me with influence that may be greater than this local assembly. And that means that I may be able to influence outside the realm of the people that I pastor. And so over a region or over an area, I don't have international influence. You can go to the Philippines. The only people that know me are the folks I met via FaceTime by Brother Danny and Brother Aiden the other day. I don't have any spiritual authority there and no influence there. But in this region, in this area, God has given me influence, my reputation. This year in April, we will celebrate 20 years of pastor of this church. I hope that I have made some impact and I have some influence in this region, in this area. And so the, as, the, as an apostle, I believe that that gifting of an apostle comes with, comes from God, but there is a gifting there to be able to minister and affect beyond just what I'm doing as a pastor of the local assembly. Does that make sense? And so I believe the spiritual giftings and the gifts that God gave to men, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors, evangelists and teachers. And so all of those, tonight I am fulfilling the spiritual gifting of a teacher. 
Now, I had somebody come to me one time, and they said to me, you need to speak with stick or preach it. And I kind of laughed. They're still a member here, and I still love them. But it was their opinion that I was a better preacher than teacher. God bless you. I will do that, but I also know that strong churches can't be built on the Sunday night or Wednesday night shout of preaching. The inspiration of preaching is wonderful. We need it, but then there are times we need to slow down and we need to open the Word and we need to discuss what the Scripture is saying to the heart of men. Strong churches are built around strong teaching. And so while I may not be the greatest teacher, I work at teaching, but I seek, I seek the most clear gift that God has given me the best gift, which I believe is that of a pastor. Now that I have explained the, the, my take on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when I, when I received my call to preach, I, I'm going to tell you, when God called me to preach, I first felt a call to preach when I was 13 years old. I was insecure. I was the baby of a, of a family with two brothers and two sisters, family that were very gifted. My oldest sister graduated valedictorian. My youngest sister graduated salutatorian. My brother was at the top of his class. I passed. I always felt like I was living in their intellectual shadows. I dealt with some insecurities. I struggled. God called me to preach. I have no doubt God called me into ministry when I was 13 years of age in Nazareth to take you to the place, to the moment, to the time. And I remember at that altar when I said yes to God, but I never told a soul, not my dad, not my pastor. Nobody knew what God had put in me. And the reason they didn't and the reason I never talked about it was because of my insecurities. I kept that inside me and was waiting for somebody to affirm what God had already spoken over my life. I was 19 years of age. I was working a secular job. I finally got the courage when God was dealing so greatly with me about ministry. I had felt that call early in life. Now I'm 19, working a job. I'm living alone, actually, at that time. I remember walking into my pastor's office after setting an appointment with him, and I sit down with him, and I said, Pastor, I've been waiting to talk to you for a long time about this. I don't know what to do with it, and if I'm wrong, I, I want you to I want you just to tell me because I, I have no problem. And I said, when I was 13 years of age, I was at an altar, and I told him the story of where I was when I said yes to the call, but I never told a soul. And I said, I'm coming to you today because you're the first person I've ever told, and I feel like God is calling me to pulpit ministry. I was weeping office. I was broken. My pastor, when I walked in, I'll never forget, he thought I was there for a 
was sitting in the chair and he was standing with his back to me looking through and fumbling through his books and he wasn't even turned around looking at me and he said, what do you mean? It just wasn't like him at all and I thought, he's nervous about me being in here. And when I began to talk and he realized what it was when he turned around and looked at me, tears were streaming down his face and he sat out on a chair and he leaned forward and he said, son, I have wondered for many years how long it was going to take you to finally acknowledge the call of God upon your life. He said, this is no surprise to me. I have known it. He said, the giftings and calling have been on you, and you have done the work of ministry without any title, without anything, anything I've ever asked you to do. And he began to talk about the Bible studies I had taught and the people I had influenced and the people I had won to the Lord and the work of ministry that I was doing. And he began to affirm what God had already put in there in, in, into my spirit. And he said, I believe fully that that call came to you and you accepted it at 13. But he said, now you are coming forward. And he said, God is going to do a quick work in you. And he spoke two or three things to me that he wanted me to do immediately. One, he told me to sell my car. It was an IROC Z28, and I was really proud of it. And he said, secondly, I want you to go to Bible college, and I want you to go this coming semester. So everything that I did, I had to do in hyperdrive. And the rest is history. When I said yes to the call of God, I didn't say yes to being a prophet or an apostle or I never said, God, this is what this is what I wanted to do. What I said was, God, I want to reach the lost, whatever I have to do. This is the calling that you have placed in me. And God, whatever it is I can do. And so whether I was at the church on Saturday mowing the lawn, or whether I was on a tractor grading the gravel lot, or whether I had a paintbrush in my hand and was painting eaves and overhangs, or I was cleaning out gutters, or I was inside cleaning toilets, or working around the church, or teaching Bible studies, or driving the church van, or picking up people on Sunday morning, or whether I was whether I was in a Sunday school class teaching, or whether I was taking a load of kids to a youth rally somewhere. It didn't matter what I was doing. I was doing it because I knew that God had put a calling inside me that was greater than anything. It wasn't about position, title. It was I just wanted to do what God had called me to do, whatever that looked like. And God unfolded it in my life. I remember the first time that somebody says, what does your future look like? Talk to me about what five years from now looks like for you. What does 10 years from now look like for you? And I began to consider and I began to think about that. It was never, I feel called to pastor, I feel called to evangelize, although I've done both. What I felt called to was to say yes to whatever door God opened. Thus, I raised my kids and I said to them, do whatever you can where you are with what you have. That's always been my motto to them when it comes to ministry. Don't wait to somewhere down the road and say, well, you know, I can't do this because I'm just the pinky, I'm just the hand, and I wanted to be the ear or I wanted to be the mouthpiece. 
we are a body that is fitly framed together. And so the apostle begins to talk about tongues, and he talks about, does everybody have the gift of tongues? And from this, many have misunderstood the whole context of this passage. This passage is not dealing with the utterance of tongues at the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The sign, the initial evidence, that's not what it's talking about. Not at all. It gives no implication that that's what it's speaking of. As a matter of fact, it talks about tongues. And then the next statement it says is do all interpret. So it is clearly talking about the gift of tongues. Now, I'm finally moving into the area and arena that I really wanted to spend most of my time on tonight. There is a difference in the gift of tongues and on the utterance of tongues when receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A whole difference. Now, people that misunderstand this completely think they are one and the same. And so, therefore, when the Scripture begins to say, well, not everybody speaks with tongues. That's what the apostle says. Not everybody speaks with tongues. That is correct because not everybody has that gift or seeks that gift. I believe everybody has the potential for that gift. But it is not the best gift. Some have a different gift and they seek a different gift. Some have the gift of interpretation of the diversity of tongues. That's what it says. Does everybody interpret? The answer to that is no, because not, does everybody have the potential to? I believe yes. They have the potential to, but that is not their best gift. Now, when we start talking about gifts, we could get way off out here, and I'm going to take my liberty tonight to talk about it in and among the apostolic church. Tongues and interpretation have been a supernatural thing that has happened and has been part of the ministry that has been accepted for many, many, many years without question. Because if you go all the way back to Azusa Street, there were three tongues and interpretation that went forth, the last of which... At Azusa Street, the last of which went forth, the interpretation was rise and be baptized in Jesus' name. And it scattered people because it was not anything they had ever heard before, yet it was biblical. And it was God revealing himself correctly in Scripture. And so from Azusa Street, through the early revival of the 1900s, through this season of revival, tongues and interpretation have always been easily accepted among the church. But prophecy, ooh, it starts being spooky. The gift of healing, really? You think people have the gift of healing? Yes, just as much as the gift of tongues and interpretation. The Bible didn't italicize, it didn't, it didn't uh, 
upfront. It didn't bold one spiritual gift over another spiritual gift. Yet not everybody has those. Have not everyone has the same spiritual gift. But we are to seek the best gift. Everybody say the best gift. The best gift. So when it comes to tongues, this is not dealing with the utterance of the outpouring of God's Spirit or the overflow, which I'm going to get into. And it may be the next lesson before I can get into, into the, the initial sign or evidence of the Holy Ghost or the outpouring of God's Spirit. Probably not every day, but many days in prayer, I will reach a point in prayer in which there is an overflow of God's Spirit and I will speak with other tongues. How many of you can testify? That is different than tongues for the sake of interpretation. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about the gift of tongues and then it talks about interpretation. And another whole passage, the Scripture deals with how to know that if they are of God, and it also gives order for them in the church. If someone speaks with tongues and there is no interpretation, then another may speak with tongues. And if there still is no interpretation, let him be silent. There's no reason to continue through the service with there constantly being tongues if there is no one with the gift of interpretation. So among the church... We must be sensitive. I don't think just because somebody gives a gift of tongue, gives gives tongues to be able to give that interpretation, I do believe is a gift from God. Now, I do believe that that gift can be within anyone who is filled with the Spirit. Now, why do they have to be filled with the Spirit as the Scripture teaches? Why can't just anyone? Because the Bible says you can't even say Jesus is Lord if you're not filled with the Spirit. Oh, that's what he's really talking about, about saying Jesus is Lord. So you're telling me somebody that's never been born again can't say Jesus is Lord? Yes, they can, but they can't really know that he is Lord until he is Lord. And no man should operate in spiritual giftings except he has been born again as the Scripture teaches. And so when the gift of tongues operates in the pattern that is given in Scripture, in the order that is given in Scripture, how it should come, how it should be done. So it, you, you, we don't come into service and it's tongues and interpretations and tongues and interpretation. And it goes, the Bible says it may be two times. And it could, it could possibly, it could possibly be yet the third. But then it should come to a conclusion. That's the order. Anyone with that gift would have studied that and know that and understand that. Now, if I was to ask you tonight, I've got a lot of elders here tonight, a lot of people with a lot of experience, but if I was to ask you what your opinion is of the most, the most, can I use this word without offending anybody, the most faked spiritual gift is, I've heard many, many people say it. Maybe some of you have even said it to me. I would dare to say that there's a lot of people with a desire to look and appear spiritual would attempt to operate in a 
spiritual gift that who would know the difference? So they give a gift, they give them a message in tongues. Just because there is, in, there is no interpretation does not mean that the person who gave the message in tongues, was it was not of God, not at all. It means that there was no interpreter to be able to interpret. There was no one there that seeks the best gift as being the interpretation of tongues. I've also been in services in which there has been a message in tongues and a message of interpretation that I felt like was probably about a million miles away from the of the spirit. Is it okay for me to be real with you about that? I've also been in services and heard prophecy go forth that I thought that's a miss. And as the pastor of the church, I don't get up running in front of the church and throw up a flag and say, red flag, red flag. This is why the church needs to pray and seek God and have the spirit of discernment. If you want me to tell you tonight, one gift that everybody ought to seek is the gift of wisdom. Secondly, the gift of discernment. Because those two gifts are gifts that ought to be on the bottom floor of every child of God. You don't have to have your pastor sit up here and look at you certain ways and say, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't believe that. No, no, no. That's I'm, I'm, the, You ought to have enough wisdom and discernment to know if that is of God. It ought to be clear to you. Because everything that God does, He does decently and in order. And so when gifts whether it's the gift of prophecy, whether it's a word of knowledge, a gift of faith, a gift of healing. It doesn't matter. All of these gifts are given by God. Seek the best gift. So that of tongues and interpretation. Does everybody speak with tongues? Not to be interpreted because it's not the best gift. But does that mean that not everybody will speak in tongues when the Holy Ghost is poured out. I'm going to go into Scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to run out of time. My wife is five minutes sitting on the edge going, I'm ready to hit this buzzer. I'm about five minutes away from the buzzer, so I don't have time tonight to delve in. That's going to be part two. I'm going to delve into what the Bible says about speaking with other tongues not as the gift of tongues for the purpose of interpretation. This is the confusion of Scripture. When people began to think that they are one and the same. So, in our next lesson, we're going to dig deep into what the Bible says about speaking with tongues. Now, speaking with tongues are, is, is, is a terminology um, it's it's a well known it's well known that terminology in scripture varies from one author to another. Now I'm going to help you with this in laying the groundwork for our next lesson. The author of one book may prefer different words to describe essentially the same reality. So being born of the spirit that one may say is no different than another may say being filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? So it is the different terminology and use of an author, but they are speaking of the exact same thing, being born of the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, or being baptized.
Those are all different terminologies and descriptive terms of receiving the same Spirit. It's just different ways of speaking about the same work of the Spirit. I hear people say that they are a Spirit-filled Christian. What does that mean? When somebody says they're Spirit-filled, what does that mean to you? What does it mean when they say, I'm Spirit-filled, I'm a Spirit-filled Christian? Usually what they mean is that at one certain time they believed on the Lord and had an emotional experience. This may not mean that they received the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Ghost, according to Scripture. Some people say they're spirit-filled, but yet they say they never have experienced the evidence of speaking with other tongues. So because that they felt something, they felt the drawing of God, they felt the moving of God's Spirit, they feel like, oh, that was the moment I gave my heart to the Lord. I believed. And thus my question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So in our next lesson, we're going to delve deep into the difference between believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and claiming a born-again experience because we had an emotional experience and a biblical example of what it looks like for the Holy Ghost to be poured out. The Bible shows us of no Christian life outside of the Holy Ghost. When somebody claims to be Christian, I want to know. What does that mean? You're a born-again Christian? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Because if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then you do not belong to Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 said, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, what does it say? It is the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit, that regenerates or produces the rebirth. I see the time and I'm closing here. The regeneration of the Spirit, that's a scriptural term, regeneration. I have I drive a Dodge Ram pickup with a diesel engine. Last night, I wish I would have remembered it was a diesel when I pulled up to the gas pump and put three-quarters of a tank of unleaded in it. That's why it's parked up front waiting for the truck. When I drive that diesel down the road, the government has put, they've put all sorts of sensors in and, and things to catch the pollutants so that the diesel doesn't go blowing all the black smoke so it catches the pollutants and it stores them in something similar that your gas vehicle may store that is called a catalytic converter. It's called some sort of a filter on a diesel and so it fills with that and then when you're driving down the road and at a certain temperature and a certain length of time, the computer kicks in and does something internally and it is called an exhaust regeneration. 
ultimately, what it means is, is all of the pollutants that have been caught in that, in that filter, something releases them, and so now it just releases them all out the tailpipe and black smoke goes up. It makes not a lot of sense, does it? We held on to this for a few weeks so that we can now release it all out. But it is called regeneration. Most of you know what regeneration is. You have water filters in your home. Anybody got water filters in your home? They have to go through a regeneration cycle. That regeneration means that everything that is internal is it's in the process of regeneration. It means it is stirred, it is purified, it is cleansed, it is brought back together so that it is, it is like a reset. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, it's like a reset on your cell phone. Every now and then, when you're just overloaded, what do you have to do? You have to turn it off and turn it back on. Every time I have computer problems, the first thing that's asked, how long has it been since you've done a reset? What does that mean? Turn it off, turn it back on. Because when you do, the computer regenerates itself. And through that regeneration process, all, everything on the inside gets reconditioned, reformed, reshaped, and it is now put back in proper order. Here is what the Holy Ghost does in the spiritual life. When you are born again of the Spirit, that is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is a work of regeneration within you. When God formed you human as you are, when God formed human, he made humans to be in perfect communion and relationship with him. In the garden, sin entered into man. Now all sin because of Eve and Adam. All are born into, into sin and shapen in iniquity. But when we are born again of the Spirit, there is a regeneration in us that takes everything that is in us and it reshapes, reforms, puts us back together and gets us in alignment with God. That is the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. So the, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is not about making you feel goosebumps and making you feel warm all over and making you get excited and making you want to jump and leap and run around the church and dance and be Pentecostal. It has nothing to do with that. It is the regeneration of the inner man because God takes what is broken in us because of sin and he regenerates us through the Holy Spirit. Now we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now old things just got passed away and all things become new. Now the things that I would have never been able to do, I can do because I now am a born-again Christian. There is a regeneration. And so next lesson, I'm going to delve into this. Then we're going to talk about how does one know that there is a regeneration that happens. In my truck, the way I know the regeneration process has happened is because a light comes on in my dash and I feel the engine kick down and it feels like brakes come on and then I have to gas the accelerator a little hard and when I look in my rear view mirror, I see black smoke boiling and for just a few seconds, the black smoke boils then all of a sudden, it kicks out of that regeneration mode and all of a sudden, I'm ready to go. 
there is a sign that there was regeneration. What I'm going to show you in Scripture is every time there is a work of an, the infilling or the regeneration, whatever word you want to use, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, being born again of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, all different words but meaning the same thing. When there is a regeneration of the Holy Spirit, there will be a sign that you have been regenerated by the Holy Ghost. It's not, it is more than just, well, I believed and it happened. There will be a, a sign that regeneration has happened. And that sign will happen at the first time you are ever filled with, your, with the Spirit of God. And then every time that there is a new outpouring and there is a new infilling of God's Spirit, that regeneration process is going to happen. Then what I'm going to show you in Scripture is that sign is you are going to begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And every time you are born again, again, every time there is a regeneration of the Holy Ghost, every time that you're in prayer and the Holy Spirit moves on you and you begin to speak with other tongues, it is a regeneration, a building up of the inward man. And we're going to prove this in Scripture, and I'm going to take you through Scripture, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about that regeneration and how it is associated with speaking with other tongues. God bless you tonight. I want you to stand with me. Thank you for giving me your time and undivided attention tonight. Thank you to my wife for not hitting the buzzer six minutes ago. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you tonight for your word and by your spirit tonight. I pray that every person receives the word of God. Let there be a transfusion of your spirit into every life and every heart. God, I'm praying tonight that as we leave this house, God, that you continue to work in our life. Let us seek to see and to know what that great and best gift is that you have put within us, that we may seek after that, Lord. But let there be a 